You're listening to Coloring Outside the Memos with Dr. Tiffany Monique Quash and me, Dr. Lizzie Bartelt, a podcast about all things qualitative research. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. you all and welcome to coloring outside the memos i am dr lizzie and i'm here with dr tiffany and what are we talking about today dr tiffany so dr lizzie today we are talking about how to construct an interview guide i am so excited about this one um are you ready to go on this on this little journey (laughs) getting our backpacks on here we go here we go um So today we are going to be talking, like I said, talking about how to construct that interview guide. And some people will refer to this as the interview guide or the interview questions. These are definitely things that are words that are used interchangeably. Um, If you're a faculty member or professor, somebody you're reading is like interview guide and you're like, no, it's interview questions. And the other person is saying interview questions. You're like, no, interview guide. Um, No, tomato, tomato, potato, potato. I, I don't know. Let's but, call the whole thing off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. So I do want to ask Dr. Lizzie, what is your favorite part about putting together your interview guide? Ooh, it's such a good question and such a hard question for the morning. Um, I mean, <laughs> people are listening to this whenever they're listening to it, but it's morning while we're recording. Yeah, right. uh, it was a nice little rhyme that I didn't intend. So what is my favorite part about putting together an interview guide? I think really thinking through what it will, what kind of questions will elicit stories and what kind of questions, how to lead into the questions to reduce the threatening aspect of it and to reduce the trauma aspect of it, but also to find ways to make people comfortable while um, speaking their truth. You just word things so elegantly. I just, I, sometimes forget that we're, you know, we're recording and I just want to be like, keep talking research to me. (laughs) (laughs) With Janae Monet in the background, you know. (laughs) Talk research to me. (laughs) I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I think one of my favorite parts about putting together an interview guide is trying my best to meet the needs of my research question. Um, So having that research question in mind and then just meeting so many beautiful humans that are out there. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just a wonderful world that we live in. And at least I like to think so on a, on a good day. And, you know, it, it just really, it's just really a beautiful experience meeting somebody new, um, and you can connect with them about your research. Um, and they're willing, they're just willing to talk to you. So as I said before, um, today's focus is about the interview guide itself. There are other key moments throughout the research process that are pivotal, pivotal, Um, that's the before, during, and after the construction of the interview guide that includes like the IRB protocol, gaining access to your participants, um, and or community, uh, transcribing member checking, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's, you know, that's not what we're here to talk about today. Today, we are solely focused on the one, two, three interview guide. Ah, just love it. Um, so we're going to start out with, um, an article that I found and I, it was in the, it's in the journal of advanced nursing. And I have to admit, this is a journal that I am personally am not familiar with. And so I'm so excited that I found it and I'm like, yay, I'm just excited to share it with you. So anyway, um, the interview guide itself and the authors of this article, um, Calio Johnson, um, and another uh, amazing Arthur researcher. The interview guide covers the main topics of the study. It offers a focus structure 
for the discussion during the interviews, but should not be followed strictly. Instead, the idea is to explore the research area by collecting similar types of information from each participant by providing participants with guidance on what to talk what to talk about. And it's it's really, really interesting. What do you think about that quote, Dr. Lizzie? Yeah, so it's a beautiful quote. You were saying last episode how I pick great quotes. I think you pick great quotes too. Um, so it, this really strikes me as um, kind of the essence of what we hope people will do when they're gathering interviews and when you're having a team of interviewers for any one study, I think it's always a challenge of going, okay, well, what kind of data is person A going to get versus what kind of data I'm going to get? And how do we make sure we're both getting the same kinds of data? And what if person A isn't asking the same questions that I'm asking? And I think anytime those things come up, the tendency, because we've all been swimming in this soup of empirical data and and we have this idea of, well, we need to have valid and reliable data collection. And so I love this quote because it really highlights the fact that every interviewer is going to ask things differently. And that's okay because we're doing qualitative work and we want to get depth and not just breadth. Um, and I think that's such an important difference in how we conceptualize research and knowing that if we're talking to a bunch of people really, or a few people really deeply, we're going to get really good data and not necessarily asking a bunch of people a really shallow amount of questions. I totally hear you on that. It's the, the interview guide itself. It's, it's, I kind of see it as a, a piece of art. Um, no, right? Ooh. With stickers, Ooh. stickers. Ooh. <laughs> tell me more, tell I me know. more. I mean, so I, I kind of, I personally experienced writing an interview guide or constructing an interview guide or developing it is it's, it's, you've got this beautiful blank canvas and it is our job as the researcher, the interviewer to put together um, something that resembles like what we're trying to get to. So we've got this canvas, like I said, your piece of paper, your blank computer screen, whatever. And with that first layer, I, and again, please art people who are out there, please do not come after me. I don't know art like that. <laughs> For the record, I don't know art like that. Um, but you kind of, in my brain, it's like, you want to put something down, like that, that some kind of foundation down, you know? And, um, and then seem to me that foundation is like that theory. Again, we won't get, to, we're going to get to this. We're going to get to it, that theory. Um, and then, and the, the research question, you know, so that's, that's going to be on that first layer. And then that second layer, you start just kind of just putting things down, just be like, you know, I just want a blue sky. You know, you don't go in depth about that blue sky. You're just like, I want that to be blue. Or maybe you want the sky to be green. I don't know. I mean, or maybe, maybe you don't, you know, maybe you want um, fish swimming in the sky. You know, now it sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. I don't know. But maybe. Or, you know, like an impressionist painting. Tot definitely. Thank you. Thank you. As I'm like, kind of like, I feel like I'm clamoring here, but I mean, but that's what you, you know, that's how I kind of see it is that putting together an interview guide is a beautiful piece of art and it's, it's really our job to bring it all together. Um, I love this example mm, so mm. deeply. It's like giving me the chills just I, thinking about it as art because it is an art form. And I think mm. This is one of the classic kind of pieces of the debate that we have talked around quite a bit of like, what's the better research? And our argument is constantly, there isn't a better kind of research. Both kinds of research are really important and really needed. And 
Um, qualitative is often a little bit art. It still has science. It has a lot of science in it. It does not not have science in it, but it also is art and creativity. And I love this like building of the canvas and like how you build the interview guide. It's uh, beautiful. Thank you. Thank, thank you, sis. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, I would also add that it's a different type of science. Mm. I am coming Ooh. in hot today. Okay. It, it is a different type of science, you know? Um, and, and so again, going on as we, we've got our backpacks, our backpacks and um, our canvas that we've already, you know, we're, we're, we're carrying our canvas. We're like little Leonardo's and what have you. And, and, and so we're, we're little Frida's. Okay. Little Frida's and thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and so Irving Seidman says um, in their text, interviewing as a qualitative research, as qualitative research, a guide for researchers in education and the social sciences, sciences, the author begins, I interview because I'm interested in other people's stories. I'm like, okay, Irving, right? I am interested in other people's stories. Okay, I see you being intuitive. Um, (laughs) Most simply put, stories are a way of knowing. The root of the word story is the Greek word histor, which means one who is wise and learned. Telling stories is essentially a meaning-making process. Oof, oof. That is in hot in here. (laughs) So put in all your stories. (laughs) We're gonna remake like the two thousands. I'm just telling you. Um, it's what are you? How are you feeling about that? Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, I like that story equals wise that just feels so critically important to me um I mean you know this about me but I'm not sure our listeners know this about me that I am a reader and I read a lot uh I think last year my Goodreads was 68 books um so that's a thing and story has always been really important to me as a consequence and I think that I don't know how to live without story and I know people do but I think that's such an important piece of research that we find meaning from story and that story is a part of becoming wise and it's a part of understanding the world and we know how to act because we have heard stories of people who didn't act in the ways, in whatever ways, and it caused problems for them. And that all isn't always the perfect benchmark, but when we're thinking about research and we're thinking about how do we understand what people go through and how to make the world better, we have to listen to their stories. Um, that just feels so important. It, it is, it is. And, and especially in, I, of course, I'm going to say, especially in the work that we do, you know, because what we do is important, but it, the work that any qualitative researcher does, I, I really am hoping that you're going in there um, <clears throat> with an open heart. As I, I said to, to someone recently, I was like, I'm really trying to listen to somebody with an open heart. Um, <laughs> and they're like, okay, that's good. I encourage you to do so. <laughs> So I think that's the beauty of, of qualitative research. You really do have to go in there with an open heart. Um, and we've talked about this meaning-making process before. Um, and, and, and again, I, I personally, I call it the AKA qualitative researchers, the beauty of qualitative research um, from the Kakali Bharataria, Venus Evans-Winters, Jennifer Esposito. I mean, we've named these other amazing humans before um, and other people who are in the field. I mean, Again, it's just it's just really, really beautiful that here in qualitative research, um, one of the houses on Mr. Rogers' neighborhood streets, um, <clears throat> on qualitative research lane, um, it, we're really <laughs> we're really about understanding that lived experience. It's really, really important. Um, 
um, just to let you know, there really is no qualitative research corner on, on Mr. Rogers' neighborhood for the record. <laughs> I mean, there is in this podcast. There is in this podcast. <laughs> there is. And, you know, I honestly think about, like, I had a flash to grad school and, like, uh, the building we both took our qualitative classes in, like, mm-hmm. well, the fourth floor is really the, like, numbers floor. And the third floor is really the story floor. And the second floor is, like, all of the sample K-12 classrooms. And the first floor is, like, <laughs> the public floor. <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, it's really, it's it's so, so true. It's so, 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 so true. Um. I, yeah, I, I just need to pause there because it just, you know, it's, we, we, we do this work because we love doing this work, you know, and I think sometimes there's just this clash and there's this unnecessary clash, you know, between, you know, our, our siblings from various fields. So, um, but kind of carrying on with that, Seidman talks about the root of one's, and again, I would say curiosity is that people find this in, their curiosity is found in their consciousness. And I'm really, I know, right? Right. (laughs) So Dr. Lizzie, Seidman talks about one of my favorite scholars, W.E.B. Du Bois, who is the author of The Soul of Black Folk, the Philadelphia Negro and other amazing works. Um, definitely talks about the talented tenth. Can you please share with us um, Simon Simon's views on on Du Bois? I would love to. I seem to see a way of elucidating the inner meaning of life and significant of significance of that race problem by explaining it in terms of the one human life that I know best. Mm. So if anybody is not familiar with W.E.B. Du Bois, you need to pick up Soul of Black Folk today. Um, <clears throat> we are not sponsored by anybody for the record. Um, so I, I just, it's, <laughs> I, I just, and again, this particular quote, it does, it is connected to what Du Bois's focus is on regarding race in America. And, um, and when Du Bois says, by explaining it in terms of the one human life that I know best, Du Bois is talking about himself because he knows himself best. And he knows the, he understands the Black experience in America at that time. And so I think that's so important. And it is where Simon continues by saying, at the root of in-depth interviewing, it is the an interest in understanding the lived experiences of other people and the meaning they make of that experience. So I have found that in constructing an interview guide, the questions focus on what I really want to know. Okay. And it's really an opportunity to have those questions answered by those individuals who are connected to your research, but we'll get your research question, excuse me. We'll get that to that in a minute. It keeps saying I'm gonna get back to that in a minute. You know, just hold hold on, hold on, hold on. You know, I, I just keep saying that because I, I want people to know like everything that that Dr. Lizzie, you and I have talked about, it is it is all interconnected. It is all interconnected. Um and I don't know, there's there's a there's a, a question that I really want to ask, and that is. Have you found that some of the questions, your some of your research questions are related to communities that you are familiar with um, because of your own personal experience? And that is the reason why you continue to write about what you write. And, and I'm, I'm thinking about that and thinking about in terms of what Du Bois has said and how why Seidman has, has cited Du Bois. Yeah, I mean, 
you know the answer to that. Uh, <laughs> it's like trying to play two truths and a lie with your best friend in the room. It's not going to go well uh, <laughs> unless you mute them. Um, but yeah, of course, right? And like the reason I think many of us start research is because of a deeply personal connection to the topic. And a lot of times, um, we don't really go there. And I distinctly remember in one uh, graduate school class, we had this moment where the faculty member, wasn't one that you were in with me, um, said, uh, like, I want you all to write a personal statement of why you care about the research topics you do. And I'm not going to share it with anyone. And this is your one real time to do this before you have to just talk about like put on your researcher hat or your professional hat or something. I don't remember the exact language they used. And you're never really going to have this conversation with people again, but I want you to really forefront it as you're starting your research journeys and thinking about like, why you care so much about this. And I remember like writing that paper and being like, I'm going to talk about this a lot. I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm going to tell people why I care about this topic because it's never going to stop mattering. And particularly when we wear our identities and we're doing research on our identities, it's really clear, right? Like some people can hide certain parts of their identity. And I don't mean that as like a shaming, closeting kind of thing. But like if, for instance, you had a parent who died of lung cancer because they smoked a pack a day your entire life. And you don't have to tell everyone that, right? You don't have to pull out that trauma every time you're doing that research or presenting that research. But when you're doing research on the queer population and you are queer, or when you're doing research on the Black community and you are Black, like you can't take off that identity and people see it on you for better and for worse, right? There's both things. But going back to that quote of the one human life I know best, like, yeah, of course we're going to keep digging in and pulling out those things. And I think everyone approaches that differently. But for those of us who can't take off our identities, it, it's real and it's hard and it's this deep kind of thing. And I think this is a topic we're going to come back to in a future episode of like, how do you do research on the community that you belong to? And what, what do you do with the emotions that bubble up because of that? And I, I think that's a really important conversation to continue having. And so listeners, if you want to hear more about that, let us know. <laughs> um, Dr. Tiffany, I talked for a long time. What, what are your I, thoughts? You know what? I mean, it's, you're absolutely right. You know, as far as, you know, being able to, you know, us and I'm, an, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, but not air half air quotes. There you go. Of, of wearing our identities, you know, um, I would, you know, definitely being queer, definitely being a person of color, definitely having like all these, um, part of marginalized populations. Um, the, the other part, <clears throat> It's, you know, I, I think that's one of the reasons why I love the, the, the authors that we pull out because they push against this paradigm that has been ingrained in us within the ivory tower. And, um, and again, what I mean by that, because I know people are like, wait, what, what, she just went left. What happened there? Uh, what I mean by that is, you know, within qualitative research, we have the opportunity to say, listen, Western world of qualitative research and or research in general, let me tell you how about these lived experiences. And people just write about it so beautifully. Um, and it doesn't have to be, I think people also think that it has to be like, hey, well, I'm going to do this, you know, it has to be in, this is my voice it has to be submitted through da, 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 da. and it's like listening you know think outside the box and that's the beauty of qualitative research is that you can think outside the box it doesn't have to be stagnant um by the way I'm not saying that doing interviews are stagnant for the record so <laughs> because they're definitely a beautiful thing and having said that that leads us to the format of you love how this is going don't you don't you Dr. Lizzie <laughs> 
So this loading things into that backpack. <laughs> so this goes into the format of of the interview guide itself. So you know, when, when Dr. Lizzie and I were talking before we started recording today, it was like, you know, do we just talk about semi-structured interviews? Do we talk about structured interviews? Do we talk about unstructured interviews? Do we talk about focus group interviews? Do we talk about archival? Like, how do we go about this? And I think, um, you know, I think the one thing that we definitely agreed upon was that there are different types of interviews and interview ways of interviewing excuse me let me put it that way there are different ways of interviewing you just have to think about which method is going to be applicable for you and but not just you your participants so you have to have a very holistic perspective when it comes to interacting with your community um so having said that what do you think is um, what do you think about using different types of formats for different interview projects? Really good oh, question. Oh, wait, and one um, more question for you. What's your favorite? Ooh. I know, I didn't tell you about that Ooh. one. <laughs> you know, I, I'm i going to tell you, like, I'm going to just tell you right now that I was on a date with somebody once and they were like, can you literally never give me a straight answer to what your favorite thing is? And I was like, no, I don't have favorites. I have categories of favorites and I will give you like this long explanation of all of the different reasons that each of these are in favorite categories. And by the time I'm done, you're going to be like, I'm never asking you a simple question again, because your research brain won't allow you to answer anything in a da -da 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 format, will it? And I was like, no. So I'm going to tell you right now that favorites is a bad question for me. Anyway, let's move forward. So what do I think about using different types of formats and different research approaches? Well, I think that interview guides are, I think traditionally we think of interview guides as only really useful for structured or semi-structured interviews. And I really think that that's limited thinking because I think every single kind of interview um, should have some type of interview guide. Now maybe it only has a handful of things on it, but you always need to have some kind of signposting. Even for the most unstructured interview, you still want to know where you are going because you have theoretical underpinnings, you have quantitative research that you've been thinking about and saying, okay, these are the things I want to dig into more because we have some awareness from study A, B, or C over here, or you've looked at, um, you, you're coming up with this research question for some kind of reason. So you need to have some kind of where you're going with this. You're not just asking questions like you would to a friend. So even the most unstructured interview in the world, you have some logic to it and you have some reasons for asking the questions you do. So I think an interview guide, think of it kind of like an outline for a paper. Are you going to do everything like you initially outlined it? Probably not, but you're still having some kind of structure of where you're going and why you're going there. You've already thought about your end goal. And even if it's not spelled out like a very formal hypothesis, you have some idea of what you want to, what kind of questions you want to get to. Uh, so there comes a point in the interview where you're, um, where new questions might emerge and that is absolutely okay. And you might have new research questions that bubble up. You might have unexpected things that come up and that you end up switching your focus. That's part of qualitative research and that is great. But even when that happens, you still have some kind of guide based on theory and prior literature and um, your own lived experience. So you're marrying all of these things together to come up with your That's guide. So you're, I, I love how you put that because you know, we're going into our activity. So this podcast, this podcast has, um, well, uh, Wait, is, is this podcast oh. coloring outside the memos? Are we going to encourage, encourage them to, to color, color outside, outside their memos, memos, my friends? Yes. 
come on fam we are coloring outside the memos today so i want you i love it go grab that crayon or that coloring pencil or what have you or you know like frida grab that canvas and um so what we're going to do today what we'd like for you to do is go ahead write out your research question just write it out write it out type it out if you were in the car and you were listening to this and my sultry voice you need to go ahead and say to yourself what is your research question and go ahead and just write it out okay i just did that with a really cool face i have to admit and then as you're doing that, what do we need people to do, Dr. Lizzie, after they do their research question, ask themselves? Uh, ask themselves what their theoretical framework is. Um, what are you using to um, explore and experience your research question? I mean, we've um, talked about this in every episode and and you've heard it in this episode today several times. They're like, we're going to come back to it. We're going to come back to it. We're going to come back to it. So we came back to it. Okay. And again, the importance of doing this and saying this is that it helps to establish that foundation of your question. Typically, so in the role that I am in at American University, um, usually the first two questions I ask people are, what is your research question and what is your theoretical framework? Because if I don't understand what either of those two things are, particularly when we're meeting about your research, I, I don't know how I can best help you. I want to be able to give you my A plus work. Um, so explain what your theoretical framework is. Know, at least know what it is. So the one thing that Dr. Lizzie and I were talking about when going over the how to create your <laughs> interview guide was to use that quant data and that quant research, that the, um, that the theories that you know and you're familiar with, that review of literature to really develop your research questions. Um, I think it's just really, and I want Dr. Lizzie, can you, you want to explain that a little bit more? Because after you get done with talking about that, I want to talk about like centering the experiences, but go ahead. Yeah, well, so I think this is the time where um, we can't have one kind of research without the other. Um, and we need to really look at those numbers. I know a lot of y'all aren't numbers people and numbers make you a little frightened and sometimes they're not great. That's okay. You don't have to know what a MANOVA is to understand some important results from our qualitative data. And we wanna know what we're looking at. And this isn't me saying, okay, you have to find 200 um, people from this really, you know, marginalized community in wherever um, remote region that it's going to be really hard to do. No, stop right there. I don't care how small the numbers are for quant people. Um, we can do that research with qual because we can. So I'm not saying like be really discouraged by the numbers, but we do want to know some themes that are coming up, right? We want to know like, okay, what have the findings been on our community? What have the findings been on another community and the majority community? What are some things that quant has shown us about whatever we're interested in and do that really deep dive because we need that to understand, okay, so if I'm going into something new, like um, uh, let's say I wanna do my next study on polyamory, groovy. Um, I haven't formally studied that before, right? Uh, but I've done a lot about identity. I've done a lot about um, relationships. I've taught about polyamory before, but I've never specifically done a research project on it. So if that's what I want to do, I need to go and find all of the literature I can, not only on poly identities, but also on monogamous relationships and on cheating and on all sorts of different things. Because Whew, there is a lot of stuff on there. And like, let me go and explore all of this before I decide like what the themes that are, what the like main points I want to get across in the interview are. Because if I don't do that, I'm just going to be replicating somebody else's research. So this is an important step. Yes, it can be tedious. Yes, it can be hard. Yes, it can be time consuming. Yes, you're going to have to read some numbers. 
But if you don't do this, you're going to end up not having the same quality research project that you really want to have. So you're, you know, the, the beauty of the work that we do, and when we dig a little bit deeper, we often find out who is the reporting body. So a lot of the, the research that I do, you know, sometimes you will find that people who are talking about black and brown bodies, particularly black bodies in swimming are often coming from a deficit perspective. And they're often coming by from white authors and researchers. So again, <laughs> you know, they're not getting to the like literally like let's discuss the opposite of that let's you know let's discuss the fact that there are black people who swim there are, let's discuss the fact that there are black people who love doing x y and z other physical activities or leisure activities or what have you so again i think it's really 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 important and i just love how you said that you know the importance of understanding the numbers um again it's this is about love we're coming at you for love, you know, coming at you. I feel like we're the Care Bears right now, you know? <laughs> we want to make sure that we center again, like kind of bringing it back, like centering the experiences of um, our participants, like when asking these questions, you know, it's not about us. It's about the experience of the participant, you know, in, the, in that community. Um, what are the questions you want to ask your participants? Sit down. What I want you to do right now is sit down with the questions for a while before beginning that interviewing process, just write every single question. Like if you want, let's say, again, if it's about relationships, I'm thinking about what Dr. Lizzie was saying about polyamory. And it's like, well, maybe like, when did you first know? Maybe like first, like you're the theme of that whole section is the beginning of the relationship. And when, you know, when you knew that you wanted to get into polyamory and you're like, listen, this is how I identify identity, maybe one of those themes coming out, you know, and you got all these questions centered on theme on, on, ident on identity, excuse me. I just got so excited talking about polyamory. I'm projecting. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just a one topic. topic. It is. Uh, I mean, but I mean, it's just, <laughs> just thinking about it like that makes it so much easier now again this this particular podcast or this particular episode excuse me is not about coding that is for another day that is for another day and if you are interested in beginning that reading definitely pick up a copy of the coding manual for qualitative researchers by uh johnny saldana please 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 because that is a really good book again we're, we're not, not sponsored, sponsored by, by anybody any of these people <laughs> We're not book publishers. We, we just a little like too to much, but hey, too much is good. Too much is good. So, I mean, but write down all of these questions. Now, now that you've written your research question and you know your theoretical framework and you've written all your questions out, if you needed to pause the podcast, that's okay. Because now you're back. All right, make sure that your questions are concise and understand that you need to be flexible in your line of questioning. Now, Dr. Lizzie, we were talking about open-ended questions a minute ago, um, before, not a minute ago, but a minute before we began. You want to talk, talk to our listeners about open-ended questions real quick? Talk research to me. All right. Um, so yes, yes, I do. So uh, open-ended questions are, um, I mean, they're, fairly, the name is fairly intuitive, but one of the ways uh, that I think of the immediate example I think of sticking with the poly example is uh, what factors shape how you describe your identity and how you formed your identity. Um, so if you ask a question like that, it's going to be real hard for people to answer yes or no. And I'm going to say it's real hard. It's not impossible because boy, have I had people say yes or no to questions like that. And I'm like, tell me more. Um, that is my fallback uh, open-ended question when people say something real strange. Um, I'm like, tell me more about that. 
can you give me some more detail? Um, way back in the day, I used to be a camp. Uh, I worked at summer camps and there's this person named Michael Brandwine who does a lot of training on faculty or like staff development for summer camps, right? And he does this training where he says, TM squared, TM squared, you gotta tell me more, tell me more. And so like, I still have this in my brain of TM squared when I'm in interviews, tell me more. What do you mean by that? Can you elaborate on that? What are you trying to say with that? And you can ask all sorts of questions when you have TM squared in your brain. So put it on a postie, stick it on your computer. So you remember that as you're going through the interview. I, I so appreciate that, Dr. Lizzie, because what's in my mind right now is Britney Spears doing, tell me more, doing an interview, tell me more, tell me more. So again, now. <laughs> Wait, Britney Spears or Grease Lightning? Tell me hey. more, tell me more, like, does hey. he have a car? Uh, uh, uh. I mean, as you can tell, we love qualitative research. We just love it. We love it. So again, if you are walking away from this podcast thinking, I just came up with five other songs that I need to listen to so I can remember what I need to do, it's all good. You're going to have Janae Monet on this soundtrack. You're going to have, you know, next thing you know, you might have Freddie Mercury. I mean, hey, I'm just saying. So again, again, you're going to have this tell me more in the back of your mind because when you're writing out these questions you're going to think to yourself is this the actual question that I really am trying to get to because the first run of these questions it will not be the last let me say it again the first run of these questions will not be the last Wait, just some green for the sky isn't enough on your canvas you need something more than that just some green for the sky I don't think Frida would be happy with us. Okay. I don't think Frida would be happy. Frida Kahlo would not be happy if the sky was just green. I'm just saying. So as we go through this, (laughs) we need to remember that we need to be flexible throughout this entire process. Be flexible and be gentle with yourself. Okay. But most importantly, most importantly, um, when you're going through this and when you finally land, I, I'm, I'm doing air quotes for finally, finally land on that first, like, okay, this is where I'm, how I'm going to begin. Run your interview questions through some, with somebody else, please. Because, uh, you know, what I, something that I thought about when, when, when writing this out, this episode out today was, you know, it's kind of like going, looking at through a kaleidoscope kaleidoscopes are pretty and they're fun, you know, different colors, different images and everything. And you're going from a kaleidoscope to a telescope. That is the best. I mean, in addition to your canvas, you're going from a kaleidoscope to a telescope. Okay. We love that. I love that example. I am on fire. I am lit. I am on fire today. You are. So as we wrap it up, I just kind of, there are two things that I would, you know, that we're going to talk about as we end up. And I hope everybody loved that activity. If you need to come back and play it again, go ahead and do that and make sure you have Janae Monet or Britney Spears or whoever in the background. But I mean, what are some challenges that you experienced, Dr. Lizzie, when putting together your interview guide? Um, so I think one of the most challenging things for me is trying to put my, my mind in the headspace of somebody who isn't steeped in the research, isn't steeped in the work and finding out how to get them to tell me a story about something that is deeply personal to them. And I think that is the longer you do this, the more of a challenge that becomes. Um, The other piece of it is, 
uh, and Dr. Tiffany knows this well, uh, is being like, well, I can just have like a five page interview guide, right? Like people want to talk to me forever, right? Like that's fine. Uh, but of course you have to be really careful with people's time and like how much you're asking somebody to give. And so I think one of the real challenges is saying, okay, how do I get enough of the story without really exhausting both myself and the participant? And like, where is that balance? And I think that's a really hard line because you also want to sequence your interview so that you're starting off less threatening and you're going more threatening and you're starting off like not just being like, okay, so tell me about your worst trauma ever. Like no one wants that as their first question. Um, but like, how do you, but if you start off and being like, okay, well, tell me about your favorite color is like a nice uh, intro. You're like, well, this has nothing to do with anything. Why in the heck are you asking me this? Right. And so like finding that balance of like a hard enough way to enter, but also a gentle enough way to enter and like giving participants some amount of control, but also knowing that you need to get to your certain research questions. And I feel like there's a lot of challenging pieces. Um, so I didn't give you just one thing. I gave you about no, five I different things there. Saying that. I, um, I, you know, as, as we're getting ready to wrap up, I, I was remembering a, um, a, a story that was shared from, um, <clears throat> during a, a session that I was attending and the person who was speaking um, was talking about how to do an interview. And they were saying, you know, when you're constructing that interview guide or when you're doing your interview, for instance, and the example that this person gave was um, doing, um, communicating, communicating, sorry, having a conversation with like a deaconess from a black church talking about the, their uh, sexual activity. And you don't just go in saying, hey, so uh, deaconess, how often are you having sex? You know, <laughs> you don't just... <laughs> <laughs> you don't just go in and say that, right? You, I mean, unless you might have a different kind of relationship with your deaconess. I mean, hey, more power to you. That's what I'm saying. But I mean, typically, you know, you got to know your audience. You got to know your audience, right? And and so that's really what I think, Dr. Lizzie, you're saying is just saying, like, think about who your audience is, be respectful of your audience, but don't go in like a blazing saying like, hey, so tell me this about you, you know, like make it a gentle progression um, in the same, in the same essence. I'm also thinking about one of our mentors, uh, Dr. Lucia Guerra Reyes, where Lucia has, um, she was telling me about the importance of like journaling, journaling throughout um, this process. So whatever you need to do to take care of yourself, to be gentle with yourself, um, make sure that you do it so that you can be on point for that next person. Um, and again, constructing that interview, you also, you have to think about how you're going to feel because the participant is going to feed off of your energy as well. Just as much as you're going to feed off theirs, they're going to feed off yours. Um, and just kind of skipping over to like what we can do better, showing empathy. You know, and we were talking about this earlier and um, again, y'all, Dr. Lizzie and I talk a lot, a lot. And we talk at least like, I don't know, four or five times a week. And um, sometimes when I'm in a meeting, what I will do is I will put my fingers, like a, a kind of like a paper clip, but it's my fingers over my lips so that I can't talk. Now, I'm not saying that it will always happen because I love to talk. Um, I'm from the South. Um, <laughs> but I will, I will try to clip my fingers over my mouth, my lips, because I need to listen. So do whatever it is you need to do to listen. And so when you're doing these practice runs, more than once, might I add, practice the skill of listening and showing empathy because people read body language, you know. So... I don't know. Last words, Dr. Lizzie. Today was fun, by the way. So thank you. It's always fun. <laughs> thank you. You led us on this journey and it was delightful. Um, yeah, I think 
I think we need to have another episode on empathy and talking about how to have empathy during the interview, um, because that's such a huge topic that I'm not even going to pretend to scratch the surface of it right now. Um, But I love that you mentioned that here, because I think that's an important space. And one of the ways that I do that in my interview guide is sometimes, and usually not in shared interview guides, but I will like print them off and like have a paper version that I'm jotting notes on while I'm doing the interview. And I will write in there breathe in capital letters sometimes, or I will write in their pause or um, like different little cues to myself so that I remember that it's not just about getting all of these questions done. It's about remembering to really be authentic um, because you are receiving information um, sometimes participants will tell you this sometimes they won't but I cannot tell you how many times I have been in an interview where somebody has said you're the first person I've ever told this to and that is such a common thing I hear while I'm doing interviews in part because of the kind of research I do but also like think about what an honor that is to receive that kind of information from somebody and so like What I do when I hear that is I count backwards from five in my head and I give enough space for them to pause and really for that like silence to stretch a little bit. And then I will say, thank you. And I won't just say, thank you. I will pause and I will pull up every bit of emotion I have out of me. And I will say, thank you so much for sharing this with me. And like really harnessing that emotion in your voice. Um, Dr. Tiffany is a really good person uh, to practice this with, but find other people who listen to sounds and who can hear differences in vocal tones and ask them, was that genuine or was I being flippant? Um, Like, how can I be really thoughtful? So be mindful of silence in your interviews, but also being mindful of your own emotion for receiving that kind of thing and writing that in your interview guide if you need to like I do because it's a helpful cue. Dr. Lizzie, I am sending you love. I am sending you love, love, love. Folks, thank you so much for today. Just thank you. Be seriously though, be gentle with yourself through this entire process. Qualitative yes. research is is not a hey, I'm gonna do this tomorrow. And no, you need to think about how you're going to do it and be just just love on yourself. Just love on yourself while you're doing this. So Dr. Lizzie, thank you. Dr. Tiffany, thank you. Thank you for leading us on this journey. It was a delight. I learned a lot and I hope you did too. Thank you. Thank you. So until next time. <laughs> Cheers. Until next time. Color outside, outside those, those memos. memos. <laughs>